Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and these are Dan Baer's interviews with the stars for the film The Lesson, Daryl McCormick and Richard E. Grant. Average writers attempt originality, but the greats, great writers, steal. But your personal life seeps into your work. If you're asking whether my son's death has inspired my writing, the answer is no, I will not be writing about his death. I will be writing in spite of it. Good morning. You must be Bertie. So you're my tutor. Your father. He's the most revered writer in the country. My husband. The subject of your thesis. You're not here for him. So don't talk about his work. Don't talk about Felix. Follow those rules and you should be fine. It's only been two years since Felix. Lake's off limits. Don't do it again. No, Liam's a writer too. I've seen the novel. It's actually quite good. You know you're not the first. There have been incidents in the past. When you said I wasn't the first, what did you mean? Welcome, everyone, to the Next Best Picture podcast, where we are talking with Daryl McCormick, the star of the upcoming film The Lesson. Daryl, how are you today? Thank you so much for joining us. I'm really well, Dan. How are you? I'm, I'm, I'm keeping good. Good. I'm glad to hear it. I'm very excited to be talking to you today. You've been working pretty consistently since about 2015, 2016, but in recent years, you've really skyrocketed. You've had Peaky Blinders, working with Emma Thompson in um, Good Luck to You, Leo Grand, and now Richard E. Grant and Julie Delpy in The Lesson, and currently shooting Twisters with Lee Isaac Chung. How have you been adjusting to all this? <laughs> it's been good, you know. Yeah, it's kind of been... Last year has been a bit of a whirlwind, I think, off the back of Leo Grand and Bad Sisters. It was quite a um, a whirlwind of a year. Um, but the pandemic, I guess, would like, you know, the pandemic, because it was so quiet for a year and a bit, uh, having multiple things to do and, and multiple projects to look forward to, um, I was grateful for them by all means. So I've been good. I mean, adjusting, it's like, I think it's funny, the adjustment happens on micro levels, like you, you know, uh, those those kind of adjustments, I don't think it happens overnight. You just bit by bit adjust to maybe a different pace. Yeah, getting to work with directors that I've been a fan of for a long time now is quite exciting. So it's good. I'm I'm taking it, taking it all in my stride. 
I'm very glad to hear it. Your character in this film, The Lesson, Liam, is an English tutor. Were you a good English student when you were a teenager? <laughs> you know, I actually, funny, actually you asked this because I wasn't, I wasn't, I mean, I was really interested in English literature, but I wasn't great at it. And then mm. it was one of the only subjects that I actually got a tutor in, funnily enough. Oh, wow. So when I, Yeah, when I was studying for my, my final exams before I, I left school, yeah, I got an English tutor uh, who helped me just dissect writing essays and and I realized I could have a lot more fun with with the subject than I thought I could and um and also she was quite um pretty and I I fancied her a lot so I studied really hard that does help like yeah yeah I studied so hard because I was like you know, she's going to come over next week again. I'm going to have my homework done properly. Like, I'm going to write a good essay. And so I worked really hard because I, I fancied her. And then um, it ended up being my highest uh, subject, my highest mark in my whole, on all of my exams. English was my highest um, my highest mark. So it was, it's funny because prior to that, prior to getting a tutor, the teacher was actually like asking, was saying to me, you should consider dropping down to like the lower level oh no and um yeah 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 right and I, so that's how bad I was doing and I obviously took massive offense to that and then you know mm. I think because I wanted to pursue drama and acting as well and I knew how kind of closely the two are linked I just took offense I was like I'm not you know I'm proved wrong um so yeah so clearly this is a very personal film for you then playing an English tutor yes. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I hope he watches it. <laughs> <laughs> in the film, uh, Liam ends up working for a writer whom he idolizes. And I especially like the sequence near the beginning where it almost seems like he's competing with him. Like as long as he is awake and writing, Liam will also be awake and writing. Did yeah. you, in this stage in your career, do you find yourself engaging in sort of similar behavior with your co-stars who have all these decades of experience? Of course. I think it's it's a natural thing to try and emulate mm -hmm. people you look up to. And like, I think the time when you're first entering into an industry or you're first entering into a workspace, you do look to those who uh, inspire you. And I think you try to emulate their their habits, their work routines, and yeah, I think it's a weird one with acting because there is a there is that gra gravitational pull to do that, but it is so personal as well. I think one thing I've realized is that um, everyone is unique in their own way, and and how they approach the job is different. And I think you should never shy away from finding your own your own route. But um, by all means, I've definitely been curious about people I've looked up to and and asked like, oh, you know, how many. How many hours a night do they sleep? Like, when do they, what's their morning routine? <laughs> um, you know, and, and, and I think at some point you shed that and you let it go. But um, yeah, I think it's a, it's a healthy thing, ultimately. Like, it's, it's a, an endearing thing. Mm -hmm. And what's, your, what's one of your fondest memories from, from this particular shoot, working with these actors? Oh, I think some of the dinner scenes were a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> probably one of the first dinner scenes uh, where um, Liam meets uh, Sinclair for the first time. There is kind of, uh, there's just so many hurdles he has to get through. I think he has to be on side of um, 
the mother also he has to find some sort of alliance with the son Bertie and then at the same time you can sense that he's just so nervous to meet Sinclair in person and he's meeting him at his dinner table um so I really enjoy playing out those scenes because there's just so many things he's to try and navigate but uh yeah, yeah, I think that was one of my favorite scenes. And it was one of the fir- the earliest scenes we shot as well. It's great. Sort of similar to what you were saying earlier, one of the phrases that Sinclair uses in the film, uh, Richard E. Grant's character, and that Liam is really drawn to, is that great writers steal. And yeah. I'm wondering how, if you could talk about how you think that applies to you as an actor differently than it might from the character you're playing who's a writer how that applies to me as an actor i mean i think it's a really it's something i'm learning to do more and more which is to to Mm. guest a lot more of older actors performances and and older films because i think it is a is a very known fact that artists do steal uh, whether it's intentional or not but i think things get regurgitated and, and find a new form and and um yeah, one example that springs to mind is like, I know when Joaquin Phoenix was preparing for the Joker, he looked up this particular dancer, maybe from the 50s or something. And um, that scene in the mirror after he shoots those three guys on the subway, that, was, mm. that wasn't planned supposedly. And, um, and that was kind of inspired by the kind of uh, research that he'd done. I, I can't remember the name of the dancer, but mm. I think that thing is super exciting because you take something that's already out in the ether somehow, yeah. but you make it really fresh and new. And and um, and if you don't tell anyone, as your own genius. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the ethics of that, do you ever find yourself thinking about that? in like a different way from how it maybe is in the movie where it's a little more actually like stealing, stealing to, to say like yeah. it's written down. <laughs> well, I definitely think the one in the film is worse. But yeah. <laughs> so, uh, the, I, I, there's something almost romantic about the, the idea of stealing, you know, mm. from different art forms, something uh, your own regards to acting and, and, and music even, you know, people steal a music all the time whether they realize or not, but um, mm-hmm. kind of it's more, like, I think the one in, in the lesson is really kind of literal. It's like plagiarizing, um, yeah. you know, which I think is, which just removes the romanticism by all means. And, and it just, it's, it's theft, literal theft. So, um, but yeah, I think it's, it's interesting how the film explores the kind of need. I mean, and I think particularly in, you know, in this society that we live in right now, it's so overloaded with like, you know, someone's breaking through or I think that puts a subconscious pressure to stay relevant, to stay kind of, you know, it's interesting. I think that's the same thing that drives Sinclair to really steal his own son's work. Mm-hmm. And um, and kind of he's starting to get lazy or he's starting to maybe not. He's not the same writer as he used to mm-hmm. be. So. Interesting. And as I hope our technical issues start resolving soon, um, but we are coming up on our, our the end of our time. And before we left, I wanted to ask, uh, because the lesson is very interested in the question of authorship and who gets credit for what work. And I was wondering if you had any words for the writers in the WGA who are currently on the picket lines. 
I think it's really important to, to have a sense of value, both in what you do, but also in the industry that you work in. Um, and I, I really hope that, you know, everything is settled from the writer's strike, but that the writers, they garner a kind of new sense of appreciation because without, I mean, it's just like writers, you just can't make what we make, you can't do what we do. So by all means, I really hope that the strike leads in terms of like what they deserve payment and yeah, stay, stay, stay striking, but not, not for too long. <laughs> Let's hope it can get resolved quickly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, you'll have fantastic work and, and, um, and this industry, they love to make work. Indeed. Well, Daryl McCormick, thank you so much for joining us today and best of luck in your next Daniel, endeavors. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'll see you down the road. Enjoy. Enjoy you too. All right. Take care. You too. I have a new novel, and I was wondering if you might be on hand for the final stretch. Thought you might like to help. We did all we could to save Felix, but it was too late. My husband was always hard to please. You're changing my work. I'm not. Who's the writer? This isn't about the writing. It's only ever about the writing, Liam. Why does he lock the door if he's got nothing to hide? I want to know. Don't you? It's like nothing you've written before. But the ending, it feels like a different novel. Like it was written by someone else. Liam, good writers borrow. Great writers steal. Welcome, everyone, to the next Best Picture Podcaster. We are talking with Richard E. Grant, the star of the new film, The Lesson. Richard, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing these days? Thank you very much, Daniel. Uh, all good. Yeah, heat wave in London, so that's such ah. an unusual thing. We're grateful. <laughs> <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. We are very grateful for the rain that's happening in New York at the moment. <laughs> Your character in The Lesson, J.M. Sinclair, is a novelist who, at the start of the film, walks out of an interview with an audience after the interviewer asks if his personal life will affect his writing. As an actor who wants to always tell the truth of your characters, do you ever struggle with letting your personal life affect your work or vice versa? Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and... What do I even say other than, hey? (sighs) Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Uh, To some extent, I suppose, Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, And I think that the very nature of being a journalist is that it is your job to, to provoke a reaction and... How satisfying to get somebody to go stomping off, hauling the microphone off and saying, this is <laughs> you know, terrible for the person who's suffering it, hilarious for everybody else watching. And it's a regular occurrence in the British media where people, ah. people are nailed for this on TV live. So, um, yep. And I, I suppose because I was playing a man who is, he's very egocentric, uh, James Sinclair, and He's a writer suffering, as his family is suffering from the suicide of their uh, teenage son. My wife had died six months before doing 
shooting this movie oh. in Hamburg. So that isolation of grief is something that carried over into the making of the film. And unusually, because usually when you're on location and a small chamber piece of, like this movie is of uh, only four main characters, mm-hmm. uh, you usually spend a lot of time socializing with each other. And I think mm. because of the nature of this story that each of the family members are so catapulted in the opposite direction by their grief, um, we, we, we didn't socialize with each other. So that was a situation of art um, mirroring what happened in real life. Even though we were staying in the same hotel, we, ju- we just never saw each other. And was that just, it sort of naturally happened that way? Or was that yeah. a part of any process? Or No process at all. Yeah. We, we all met for a cast and producers dinner with a director at the beginning of the shoot. And, you know, everybody was incredibly friendly and excited to be starting this project. And thereafter, we didn't socialize at all. Wow. And I've never, never been on a movie where that has happened. And I suppose it just instinctively paralleled what was going on in the story. Interesting how art can imitate life in that way. Yeah. yeah. Especially in, in, you know, being in the throes of grief, I think so recently before shooting it. it we, have you ever been in that kind of situation before when working on a film where something so similar happened so recently? No? Yeah. No, not at all. How did, I guess, not how it affected your work, but did you find that you approached your work any differently than than pr- previously? I suppose you, uh, more than anything, I, I felt that because this writer that I play is suffering mm. writer's block as well, um, mm. that feeling of frustration and isolation exactly paralleled the emotional state that I was in for the loss of my wife. So um, it wasn't something that I... I consciously it just it just evolved in that way um mm. i don't know how how else just naturally yeah, yeah it did and because because in my experience of grief is that in my situation it brought my friends and my family very very close um mm. in this story it has the opposite effect that it's like a grenade that's gone off and each character is harboring blame very often unspoken but you can feel it towards yes. everybody else. And that's what gives it its tension. And um, you then, you know, as this thing unravels, you find out what has actually gone on underneath and why they are like they are. Mm-hmm. And it, it's wonderfully naughty, those relationships that, and how they get, they get twisted by these feelings. It's fascinating. One of the phrases of, that Sinclair uses often in the movie that really stuck with me after seeing it is this idea that great writers steal. And I'm wondering because one of your most famous roles that you have played is in With Nail and I, which has become this iconic performance of drunkenness on screen. And you have yet again in this film, a very key scene where you have to play very drunk. Do you ever worry about stealing from yourself in these situations <laughs> you just live in terror that you're going to be believable so um no because that film was made in 1986 and this mm. one was made in 2022 it's decades in between so 
No, not not remotely. <laughs> One guy, you know, Sinclair's an incredibly successful not yes. <laughs> money and owns an estate in the English countryside in Oxfordshire. The other guy was unemployable and you know couldn't get a rest. He has very different ends of the spectrum there. <laughs> but I, I'm wondering, do you ever find yourself stealing, if not from yourself, then from other people you know in life as an actor? Oh, you're constantly mm-hmm. on the is you know people are doing things you know I'm I'm recording you right now so uh-huh. when I play when I play a journalist in outer space I know exactly who to uh, you know I'll I'll be channeling Mr Bayer <laughs> I, you know, I think I think it's just what you typically do as an actor and if you're mm-hmm. hyper curious and a nosy Parker like I am then you know you just ask questions and you find out stuff so that's mm-hmm. the way that I've you know operated you know throughout my life and career. Yeah, what's the worst that can happen? Somebody can go fuck off or slap you. Mm-hmm. Indeed, <laughs> like a journalist. It's fascinating, like looking for that line, especially you know when when Sinclair decides when he's going to cross that line between you know borrowing or letting himself be influenced by someone versus actually taking credit for someone else's words it's fascinating and do you have you ever you know in your career have you ever seen that kind of negotiation within a writer's self i guess (laughs) uh gosh uh no because i think the very nature of every writer that i know Mm -hmm. they are so private and self-protective of what they do that um i don't know that you ever find out what the process is of how they do it um mm. but i i do know that the common denominator is that writers don't generally seem to like to write it's like mm-hmm. oh, i'll do anything i'll answer the email i'll you know i'll pet the cat i'll feed the dog I'll, <laughs> rather than write but of course once they start writing <laughs> you know they can't stop but it's just getting down to it that it seems to be, I don't know, is that your situation? If, if you write stuff that you think, oh, God, I've got to do this. Often, yes, actually. There, there is that sort of like, oh, dear, now I have to sit and write. Yeah. In <laughs> um, your head, the whole novel is, you know, spooled out. And, of course, you write page one, you go, this is just a load of horseshit. I can't, <laughs> I can't go on. I, I'm going to go and... I'm going to go and have a frozen yogurt. No. Or, or it's all swirling about in there and you can't quite grab one full sentence, just a few words. There you yeah. go. <laughs> So there you have you to go. go to a great novelist and go, what can I steal from Martin Amos or Daniel Defoe? Or, <laughs> or Roger Ebers <laughs> exactly. in the world of film criticism. What did Paul say in this situation? I'll channel Pauline. Right. WWPKD. Yes. Yeah. What would Pauline Kale do? <laughs> that is a fascinating relationship between Sinclair in the film and Liam, this younger writer who he um, sort of takes on as uh, an, an underling, um, so to speak. When you work with younger, newer actors in the field like you have to in this film with Daryl McCormick and um, with the actor whose name I'm forgetting, who plays your son. Yes, who plays Bertie. Do you find yourself sort of 
learning as much from them as they learn from you or how do you navigate that relationship with you i don't think they learn anything from me because oh. I, think, <laughs> I think the level of talent and and the way that actors young actors are now is so riveting that um i i feel like i am you know privileged to work with them and i learn from them rather than the other way around I, don't, I think if you ask them if they learn anything from me, they'd go, what, that old fart? No, I don't think so. <laughs> it's incredibly humble of you. <laughs> oh, true. And that's mm-hmm. the excitement of it. That, you know, I think that's, that's what has been so attractive about doing this role is that Alice Troughton is a first-time movie director. Um, Alison McKeith is the first time his screenplay has been made into a movie. Daryl has only made, I think... I think when I worked with him, he'd been in two movies um, and Steve McMillan had been in one movie. So it means that the hunger and the passion that people bring to a project is that much more. And, you know, so talent is, that's, you know, whatever that invisible stuff is that you call talent, that is great and very charismatic and sexy to be around. Indeed. We are almost at our time for our time together, but I wanted to ask one more, and I think it's a rather important question these days, because the lesson is very interested in the question of authorship and who gets credit for what work. And it, it's coming out at a very interesting time in that way with the uh, Writers Guild strike going on. And given that you play an author in this film, do you have any words for the writers who are currently on the picket lines? Wow. Well, you know, in exactly the same way as a long-winded way of answering this, in the 70s, when I was a teenager, the urban myth was that a mood synthesizer was going to get rid of all orchestras. We wouldn't mm-hmm. need them because one instrument could play everything. But as you know, you can't put Itzhak Perlman into a Moog synthesizer because only he can do what he does. So in exactly the same way, I don't know that AI can come up with the individual voice of a, that only a single writer has. So that authorship is something that, to me, is the equivalent of your fingerprint. Only you mm. have that. So long may they thrive. And as we have, you know, Nobody has come up with a better way of dealing with the life other than through stories. And I know that you know that you know theoretically there are no new plots, but the variations of that belong to the talent of writers. So first and foremost, I bow down to them. I owe mm-hmm. everything in my life to writers. Indeed. And it's a beautiful place to end it. Thank you so much, Richard E. Grant. And best of luck. (laughs) Best of luck with this film and with your next. Thank you very much. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Dan Baer's interviews with two of the stars from the film The Lesson, Daryl McCormick and Richard E. Grant, here on the Next Best Picture podcast. The Lesson is currently playing in theaters from Bleecker Street. You have been listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you'll get some exclusive podcast content from us. 
Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we will see you all next time. Hello, this is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present. If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today.